This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbede on 101.9 High FM. Good evening and welcome to tonight's installment of Beyond Governance. Uh, as always, I'm pleased to share this space and time with you, the beloved uh, High FM listeners, especially those that are loyal to this particular show. Once again, gratitude to you all uh, for those who are giving this show uh, the kind of uh, stature that it deserves. Uh, once again, thank you very much. Um, we are obviously in a lockdown. This is almost like three months now in a lockdown. And we all know that life is definitely different from what we have known for ordinary people as well as for businesses. Uh, we know that COVID-19, you know, in as much as it has its, its, its own downside, we obviously have opportunity as a people and as a country to actually leverage on some of the positive, uh, spins that could be uh, born out of uh, COVID-19 and present circumstances. I mean, for, for me, this gives us an opportunity to change gear, to shift gear, particularly in the space of production. Uh, talking of production, you know, you know, my sense that most of us as South Africans are really have a very bizarre notion of consumption. We, you know, if, for an example, if you looked at the cues of, uh, uh, the queues of, of liquors, uh, or the queues at liquor outlet, uh, yesterday and today, you, you'd be shocked, um, to see the kind of, um, prioritization that we put on, 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 on alcohol. And obviously there are different theories, uh, around this particular issue. Others, you know, people may maintain that, you know, we need more and more depressant because everybody is depressed, uh, uh, as a result of the COVID-19. Be that is it may, uh, on a much more strategic and high level, we have an opportunity as a country to to boost our you know our, our production ethos. We need to shift gear, look at policies that stimulate growth, that particularly growth from a production point of view. And that, for me, uh, is something that needs to happen. You know, uh, one of the things that obviously we have an opportunity to to reflect on, which is something that the show is all about. Is our competitiveness as a country? You know, where are we as a country in relation to productivity and productivity indices? Of course, unemployment rate is is exceptionally high. We're sitting what I mean, given a broader definition of unemployment, we're probably sitting almost forty percent, uh, if not more. We need to be obviously obsessed with issues around exchange rate. Be obsessed with issues around payment balance of payment, uh, the outcomes of credit ratings. Of course, poverty. Last but not least, um, you know, petrol price, uh, it's going up. And for those that do not fill up their gases or their tanks, you know, we have an opportunity before midnight, please rush, uh, fill up as much as you can so that you're able to save some, some, some few rents right there. Uh, one of the issues that I, I wanted to reflect on before we get to the gist of our conversation tonight with the very interesting uh, panelist, uh, is the fact that, you know, the, I would imagine it to be criminal for me not to reflect very briefly on the status of education from a uh, school readiness uh, point of view. We all know that, that we ought to have returned, uh, well, learners ought to have returned back to school on the 1st of uh, June, but that did not happen. Uh, the minutes obviously pushed the, the timelines to now the 8th of, of, of June. Uh, my, my point is that, yes, I understand the confusion. I understand the dilemma. I understand you know, where, where the department is, but we, we must never lose sight of, uh, unprecedented nature of, uh, challenges that 
were brought to bear as a result of the COVID-19. And, and I mean, the Department of Education or the ministry is, is one of the biggest. We've seen talking almost close to 30,000, you know, uh, 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 schools throughout the country, uh, with almost, you know, uh, incredibly number, large number of, of, of learners. For the department to procure PPEs, trains, uh, uh, SMTs on issues such as social distance and other protocols, distribution of the PPEs, and also having to deal with uh, trade unions who, by virtue of what you've picked up, are somehow, you know, blocking the delivery of the PPEs. You know, it's a huge sector with huge, with a number of complexities and uh, dynamics, which we really need to give the Department of Basic Education some kind of respect. It's an old that the minister may not have had the best intelligence at her disposal in terms of making pronouncement on the school reopening. But but you must also bear in mind that the complexity and the vastness of the system uh, and, and the kind of intelligence that is required, bearing in mind that we we are in a unprecedented uh, terrain that nobody has ever walked into. And bearing this, be, be that it may, one also acknowledge the fact that the Department of Education was not in a kosher state before COVID-19. So how do we expect the department to be running uh, smoothly within a very short space of time? It beats me. Particularly when you look at, listen to the conversation that is coming from some of the unions who are now calling for her head. My view, you obviously have to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And one thing I've been looking at, I'm trying to find some some kind of marriage or some kind of suggestion of of, of worthiness being presented by some of the unions, uh, and, and I don't see any. Uh, I'm, I'm struggling to find any. And, and you know, this kind of armchair critics does not take this country anywhere. Anyway, that's my two cents worth of uh, thought around, you know, the, the kind of debacle that we're seeing in education space. Uh, moving on swiftly, what do you make of the SAA? You know, we've now been told that, uh, the, you know, uh, the business practitioners have, uh, 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 you know, uh, are expecting, you know, part of the package or part of the resuscitation of, uh, uh, now defunct SAA, uh, taxpayers are going to cough up close to what, 4.6 billion rents, uh, to a dead, you know, uh, duck if you, if you like. The question for me is, where is the money coming from? Uh, obviously taxpayers are going to, and, and what sort of guarantees do we have from state in terms of, resuscitating SAA from the ashes. Uh, are, is there any confidence that we are likely to have, you know, uh, or the taxpayers are not going to be bailing out any other future state-owned entities in the future? And particularly when you're talking about the COVID-19, I mean, you could know, you know that the the, the classical things such as um, pit latrines, we have close to 4,000 schools without proper sanitation. And here we are putting close to, uh, what, 4.6 billion rents, which is just in a tip of an aspect to an entity, which we don't even have the requisite skills to run. And we run it down and, and there's no confidence whatsoever. I, I wonder what's actually happening in, in, in the policy arena right there. But anyway, those are my, 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 my thoughts for tonight. But moving on swiftly, I'm drawn online on a very critical issue, which, uh, 
promoted the kind of conversation they're going to have tonight um, is the issue of the social compact, which underpins, which underpins any cohesion in any society. Uh, what sort of triggered this for me is what uh, uh, we have noticed throughout the world, the, the kind of uh, atrocities that, um, you know, some of some some blacks in particular are experiencing in the, in the state and how the leadership under, under Donald Trump in my view is failing dismally to provide the kind of consensus, the kind of uh, compact that is needed because under these circumstances, we all need to pull together. So for me, these are the, the, the kind of, uh, uh, you know, example that you've seen in the state has direct implications for South Africa because we've got our own issues here. Uh, and, and part of the issues is to bring about a social construct that brings all the parties together so that we don't go through the route that they do, that, that the U.S. has gone through. I mean, we've got a practical example. We have done it in 2010. Well, in 20, in, in 1994, we've had, we've done it. We've done it in 2010. So there are a lot of examples in South African context wherein if we put our minds and thoughts and energies uh, together, we're more likely to address these kind of issues. Um, I'm going to obviously bring in my, my, my guest tonight just to try and get a sense or make sense of these very complex issues around, uh, how do you bring about, you know, the, social construct. What are the preconditions that need to uh, be engaged in in bring about a coherent, structured and sustainable social construct uh, contract that brings labor, government and civil society organization. On the line, I'm joined by Ellen Mukoki, who's the uh, CEO of the South African Chamber of, of, of Commerce and Industry, SACI. And of course, we're also joined by Mr. Hemen Pretorius, who is a policy analyst at Institute for Race Relations. Uh, uh, we're also joined by Eric Stillman, who is the CEO of London School of Business SA Online. And last but not least, joined by uh, Mr. Justice Ndaba, who is executive and knowledge at Knowledge Acres Group. Gentlemen, good evening and welcome to Beyond Governance. Good evening, Nimrod. Good evening, Nimrod. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I was quite pleased to see the kind of panel that we were able to put together, um, uh, tonight. Perhaps maybe let me, I want to start with, um, Herman, um, in terms of his uh, orientation around what is it that he has seen or observed in the state and the extent to which what he has seen in the state, um, could be used as a lessons learned to avoid some of, some of these issues that we have seen in South Africa. And, and more broadly, how, in his view, what are the preconditions of really peeling down a social construct or compact that is sustainable? Over to you, uh, Herman. Right, Numeral, thank you so much, and, and, and all my colleagues, um, uh, Ellen, Eric, Justice, thank you so much. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to this discussion, and of course, to, to all the listeners, thank you for joining us. Um, I think w- when it comes to things like social compacts, uh, we have to, it, it, this is a phrase that the president, uh, President Ramaphosa has started using and, and, and it sounds, I mean, it sounds constructive, it sounds positive and, and it's not something anyone can really be against. But we have to ask ourselves what we mean by that. Um, because I'm not exactly 
quite sure. My fear is, and I, I, it's not really a substantiated fear, but my fear is that this idea of a social, of, of social compacts, you know, more than one of these compacts, um, is that this might form some part of a, a, a societal design where our focus is uh, on a broad society-based element where, where where it's almost like you know let's move these pieces of the game about uh, here and let's move these ones here so that on a macro level you look at society as an as as a single organization that you have to manage the component parts of the reason that makes me worried is i i i predict some conflict there between this idea of a social compact a community societal wide approach but also um, then running into into trouble when we uh, reach individual rights and individual freedoms. So when we talk about these social compacts, we must be very clear what we are setting out on. I'm not opposed to them in principle. I think something like the Constitution can be considered a social compact. But we need to be very careful what we mean by them and what the implications of such an approach would be. Looking abroad to um, to questions of, of, of leadership, I think if there's one thing that might come out throughout this evening's discussion, um, I think we will come back to one word, and that word will be accountability. Thank you very much, Eman, for that uh, anecdote, which I think uh, would definitely get the colleagues to think uh, constructively in terms of how do we get to what you have referred to as ultimate point, which is leadership accountability. Um, Maybe let me just bring in uh, Ellen in terms of his own understanding of social compact. You've noted that uh, Herman, you know, obviously in principle is not opposed to the notion, but the notion seems to be riddled with contradiction as 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 it, it takes into account uh, uh, issues that are individual rights. What's your take on that view, uh, uh, Ellen? Well, I think that's in there. Thank you, uh, Nimrod, and uh, evening to all your listeners and the, the other panelists. I think we ought not to avoid dealing with the issues uh, of the human condition in South Africa. We know what that history is. We know what that present is and why that present is what it is at this point in time. There are three pieces to this, wealth, privilege, power. And then you've got an issue of race, which is a big issue. Then you've got an issue of gender. And in any other way in which you'd like to split the pie. So in the final analysis, a social combat has got to be based on creating a condition that enables any other person it doesn't really matter whether you're black or, or woman or, or, or gray, to have an equal shot at it. In other words, you ought not to have regulations, you ought not to have legislation, you ought not to have behavior, habit and attitude that seeks to subjugate and oppress others purely because they look different to you. That's what this issue is all about. It's not about anything else. It's not about something that is abstract. It's about something that is very simple. Go to Hyde Park or to Sandhurst, and then go to Dipslot, and then ask questions. Go to any one of our big corporations and look at who is in management, look at who is a director, look at who are the shareholders, and then find out who those people really are. So we then have to create a society that says we all ought to have an equal shot or a stake in this 
situation of South Africa. And I, I, I keep telling this story all the time. No person explains this better than uh, the Indian economics professor and uh, a Nobel laureate, Amartya Sen, who talks about three children who are fighting over ownership of a flute. Anne, Bob, and Carla. Anne makes the argument that she should be the only one who should own the flute purely because of the three of the other children, she is the only one who is proficient at playing the flute. Therefore, she will derive maximum utility from the ownership of that particular flute. She's making the argument of a utilitarian economist. Bob, on the other hand, says, wait a minute. I'm not disputing the contestations of the other two kids. However, I am the poorest of the three of us. Therefore, my parents cannot afford to give me anything, any other toy. So on the basis of an egalitarian system, I deserve to be given a shot and I deserve to own the flute myself. The third child, uh, Kala, says, wait a minute, you too. I hear what you are saying and I'm not disputing your claims. However, it was my blood, sweat and tears that actually created and made the flute. So it is my flute because it was made by my sweat. She's making the argument of a libertarian. So in all these three examples, without one disputing the claims of the other, we have to find that particular balance when we talk about what the social compact is all about. It is not about oppressing one side. It is not about elevating the other person. It is also recognizing the history that we've had in this particular country. Because many people want to talk about this thing in the context of it, as I said earlier on. It's something abstract. Uh, we're trying to deal with the past. We're dealing with the present. It is this present today. If you are black and you go to the IDC or you go to any one of the banks and you're looking for money to start your business, they are going to ask you whether you've got any equity of your own. They are going to ask you whether you've got any collateral or security. And everybody knows the only form of security that is highly regarded by any funder is tangible security. It means the property, the land, and the improvements that have been made on that particular land. So now you have a structure of society where for decades and for centuries you've excluded and deliberately put in the laws to exclude other people. You then now say, well, let's start on an equal basis. Let's actually run the race. It cannot be an equal race. So you need to now figure a way of how do we develop this economy? Not because fundamentally uh, you are trying to only deal with the issue of uh, the past. You are trying to deal with the future. If South Africa has to be a developed economy, much as the other eight countries that are not non-Western that we've spoken about on this forum before, South Korea, Taiwan, uh, Israel, Russia, and the others, we cannot be able to do that if we leave people behind. We leave millions of black people behind because they don't have an opportunity to get into this particular system. So that's what this issue is all about. The ratings agencies, when they look at South Africa, were actually evaluated on this issue of transformation. Forget about what every other person is trying to tell you. This is not true. We get evaluated on the macroeconomic prospects and performance of this economy. This economy will never be able to perform so long as we do not have a big market, so long as we've excluded a huge chunk of its own population from economic activity. It's a no-brainer. Let me leave it there for now. Thank you very much, um, um, Eric um, and uh, Ellen, for that very interesting point. Um, I, I, I'm sure Ellen, I mean, um, Eric has a particular view on this particular interesting point. Eric, what's your uh, departure point based on what Herman has pointed out as well as what um, 
um, uh, um, uh, Hamlin as well as Ellen has pointed out. What's your departure point? Thank you very much, Namrat. A pleasure to be part of this panel. Um, I think if you look at South Africa and you look at America, just as two examples, both are in, in deep divides, deep conflicts, which are highlighted by the, the George Floyd incident and Trump's response to that, uh, his leadership or, or lack of leadership, uh, the, the, you know, looting in the streets, the, the violence, the protest, the sharing of that protest worldwide. We've clearly got a, an issue, a social conflict that, that begs how do you resolve that? You look at South Africa, and I think Ellen has made the point very clearly, not only in terms of the history, but in terms of what uh, the lockdown and COVID has highlighted is, is the deep divides within our own society in terms of poverty, inequality, unemployment, which is really probably going to exacerbate uh, as we speak because of lockdown. So for me, the question then is how do we heal and and move forward as, as a country to achieve, let's say, a, a common uh, a goal, which let's call it inclusive growth, growth that grows the economy and that includes the majority of the population in that process. In order to do that, you know, you asked about a social compact and um, what are the essentials for a social compact. I think, uh, uh, you know, we've also talked about leadership, Herman's reflected on leadership you have. I think the kind of leadership that, that you need right in the top is an inclusive leadership, a leadership that understands what Kasatu and the trade union movement are saying, what the ANC means when they call for the nationalization of the Reserve Bank and for a, a pension funds to fund infrastructure and understands what Saki and Busa and BLSA are saying when they say restructure the economy in the exact opposite way, which is remove the regulation, remove the restrictions on this economy, let us operate an, an economy on free market principles. So it takes a tremendous amount of wisdom and understanding and respect for leaders to be able to sit down together and understand these divergent points of view and come out with pragmatic solutions, which actually are win-win solutions, which in a way we did in Codesta. We, we reconciled the irreconcilable. We pulled off a World Cup against all the odds. You know, um, I'll, I'll just say one more point to think about in, in terms of what we might want to see as, 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 as a way forward. And I just reflected on this conversation earlier this evening, and I was thinking, you know, we've got a national Corona Command Council and a dashboard, which everybody has got on their phones and on their TVs all day long, and everyone knows how many cases and how many, God forbid, deaths and recoveries and how it works worldwide. Everyone's watching this. Why don't we have a, a national economic command council and a national perhaps empowerment command council and, and headed by, you know, the, the people experts who are reflecting and putting the empirical data into the, into the, uh, into the thinking and coming out to solutions which have got a broad based uh, consensus 
you know, you don't always have social compacts. Most countries are split down the middle. There's, there's endemic conflict in society. It's only when you really have to find a solution that you can bring people together. And I think that's one of the benefits, in a way, of, of the corona uh, uh, pandemic and, and the lockdown is people are working together to a certain degree. There's, there's a goodwill, a desire, you know, of so many parties to, to work together. And I think that's what we should try and do. And, of course, I'm, I'm a great believer in NEDLAC as a forum where, where these things are discussed between the parties. Thank you. All right. No, no, thanks, Eric, for that uh, insight. Uh, very useful observations. Uh, I have got my own views, but before I venture my, uh, my opinion on issues raised by, by particularly by, by uh, Alan, let me just give this opportunity to Justice Indaba just to give a, you know, his opening remarks based on, particularly based on your, the, the, the points made by, by Eric. Um, around the National uh, uh, Economic Command Council, because the idea, obviously, we need to gravitate towards solutions, you know, but we can't talk about solutions unless we address the, 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 the or we, can, we, we are real with the current uh, social and economic challenges. Justice, what's your immediate uh, remark? Uh, good evening, Doc, and... Uh your listeners, and also to the other panel members. Um, I think my initial reaction really is to to, to just give an indication that um, uh, real leaders are really forged in, in, in crisis. I mean, one knows that at this point in time, we are in the middle of a global health crisis. And I do agree with Herman uh, insofar as uh, the fact that in these kinds of situations where we we are in a crisis kind of situa- uh, situation, accountability is key. However, we also know, as um, I think uh, Mr. Mukoki indicated, that uh, exclusion in this country was institutionalized. Therefore, it is quite dangerous to elevate individual rights over uh all other rights, because those rights that are individual-based are, yes, in the Constitution. However, we do know that going forward, South Africa cannot continue in the manner in which it continues right now, um, where we're sitting on a youth time bomb. Uh, and we know that that exclusion really has certain characteristics, and those characteristics happen to be um, over 60% of what the population in the sense that they are youth and black. They are young and black. And we know that. And and therefore, if we cannot have a situation where we use this kind of crisis to emerge with solutions that are going to make us look different, and, and, and the problem that we have in South Africa, I think, unlike many other times when we had, for instance, 1994, um, and maybe during the sporting events, is that every group in the country diagnoses, uh, the problems of the country differently. And when we, um, we, we diagnose what is the problem and we diagnose 
that differently and we, we, we are bound not to come up with a similar solution. Therefore, half the time, um, those that are in leadership in this country uh, cannot even agree on what the problem is in the country. I mean, we've just heard now, uh, about an hour ago, the Houghton High Court ruling against the, the level four, uh, alert level four, level three regulations, which were declared invalid just now. So, I mean, you can see by the mere fact that we can't even agree on what is right or what is required for us to navigate through the current crisis that we are facing. So how are we going to agree on the solution? So the problem that we have really is that uh, the kind of leadership required right now is the one that gives the ability to help others triumph over adversity. And and okay. and at this stage, we, we are wanting in that regard because uh, we cannot even inspire people to go through difficult times. And you alluded to some of the behaviors that you saw of queuing outside hospitals. Diagnose those and say, what are the source of that? And yeah. you would see that um, the kind of leadership we require are the ones that really tend to recognize uh, current anxieties, you know, look at uh, people's fears, then encourage them to resolve. We're having a very interesting conversations with, uh, with Herman Pretorius, uh, who's a, an analyst at Institute for Race Relations, Ms. Ellen Mukopti, who's the CEO of the South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry, and, of course, uh, our regular voice on the show, which is uh, Eric Spillerman, as well as Adam Justice Indaba. The, 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 before we were rudely interrupted by technical glitch, you know, um, colleagues were just about to give a constructive way forward. I mean, uh, issues of social justice, uh, take into account historical past. And I like what, what Eric said before, uh, you know, before the, the, the glitch that we have a precedent in this country in which you can build uh, a coherent uh, society which recognizes social justice. But, you know, we all know what has happened. The biggest challenge which Justice uh, did alluded to is the fact that we don't seem to have a common ground in terms of taking the country forward. Uh, let me take this opportunity to, to bring Herman. What's your view in terms of really taking this issue forward, Herman? You know, I think um, whether it's whether it's it, it, it's the curse of uh, money, whether it's reality, whether it's the capitalists getting their way, I think we we live in a in, in an age where um, really, if you want to be free and if you want to experience liberty, then that liberty must manifest economically and financially. And I thought Eric's point earlier was. Uh, very much uh, a good one. It, it's this this idea of inclusive growth because I think we can all agree that South Africa has a history of this absolutely despicable exclusion, and that we need inclusive growth going forward. But I think the correct answer, the correct further question on on top of how do we get inclusive growth, is why do we here have exclusive growth? Why do we have growth currently? working for some people and not for others. And the tragedy there is we've gone from an economy that is so rigged in favor of a white elite that we now have moved on to an economy that is rigged in favor of a political elite. We've gone from a minority ruling over the fates of the majority um, along racial lines 
to political lines. Why is it that at the same time that black unemployment is at record numbers now, the number of ANC millionaires in parliament is also at record numbers. So let's ask the question, what is, oh, not even exclusive growth, what we need inclusive positive movement. So let's understand what is currently causing in exclusive negative movement. And I think there are uh, five very easy points on that. I think the minimum wage is pricing people out of jobs, out of jobs that can get them skills, that can get them onto the earning ladder higher. I think labor regulations, especially the unions, are too powerful, not that they should be completely done away with, but they are too powerful politically and economically. I think black economic empowerment has failed spectacularly. If we want to have economic uh, empowerment, it needs to be real economic empowerment, not this nonsense of, you know, saying uh, that, that this person is automatically advantaged because they are a specific color. So do away with BEE, get real empowerment policy, get rid of failing SOEs who just black holes of taxpayer money. And then lastly, get rid of CADA deployment. And the wonderful thing about getting rid of these things is we might not find, we might not all land on a single solution saying this is the way the economy but uh, they should function. But if we allow people the freedom to make their own economic choices, and of course we create the necessary support structure for the poorest and the most vulnerable, then I think the question really should move to not what should be going right, but what has been going wrong? Because South Africans are inherently, uh, uh, you know, creative, eager to to better themselves and their communities. The harness or the, the potential of South Africans have not been harnessed economically because their freedoms to do so under apartheid and under things like BEE and the minimum wage and all those things I listen now, the economic freedom, the lion of South Africa has not been allowed to roar. Thanks, thanks, Samuel, for that very interesting observation. Unfortunately, we don't have much time. I'm going to give um, um, uh, Ellen literally 40 seconds just to give a, a quick response to what, uh, you know, Herman is putting forward as a alternative to the current uh, uh, issues. Over to you, Ellen. Well, thanks, uh, uh, thanks, Nimrod. I think that we need to be honest about how we, we, we diagnose the problem that is facing South Africa so that we can take uh, sustainable uh, very progressive action uh, going forward. We do need to deal with the issue of race, we need to deal with the issue of gender, we need to deal with the issue of history in whatever guise or form that you would like to call it. There's nothing wrong with PE. There's everything wrong with how it's implemented. There's nothing wrong with cadre deployment. There's everything wrong with how it's implemented. If you look at China, whom everyone believes very strongly that they will actually become uh, the next developed uh, nation in probably the next 10 years, they do cater deployment, but the values and the culture that uh, underlines that is that people must be competent, people must be technically gifted, people must have experience and a performance track record. So we need to be able to recalibrate the language that we use in dealing with these issues and build a South Africa that is going to be inclusive. The poor people are not looking for benevolence. It's not a question of us or those who think that uh, they are doing better in this economy, trying to accommodate the poor. We need to make sure that we give the, the, the poor people an equal opportunity to do well, not a permanent benevolence, as though poor people must stay poor for the rest of their lives. That is not the argument that has to be on the table. We're not going to be growing the South African economy and make it a developed country if incomes are not actually rising for the rest of 
the population in South Africa so that more people get into the economy so that we create much more bigger markets of people who have a lot of money. The, the millionaires that uh, Herman is talking about who happened to the ANC are very small little parts. We need, we need another 30 million millionaires for us to say that we're making progress in this particular country. Not a few people who are there and there. That's not necessarily sustainable uh, in itself. Thank you very much, uh, um, Ellen, for that very interesting observation as well. Uh, quickly to Eric as, as well as, uh, um, uh, um, as well as Justice before we wrap up. We literally have two, two minutes before we wrap up the show. Well, we don't seem to have uh, Justice, um, back online, but I just want to maybe let me take this opportunity. I mean, I, I hear where, where Herman is coming from, but, 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 you know, issues of accountability, also, also quite paramount. I mean, my view is that we cannot talk of social justice if we don't take accountability. Accountability in retrospect. And I agree with Helen in a sense that, uh, BE has not really done much, uh, because of how it has been implemented. Uh, obviously we need to look at how, uh, the policies that are put in place to address these, the historical imbalances are actually benefiting the majority. In this country, we don't, we don't, we, we don't devoid of policies. We have lots of policies which unfortunately are not necessarily uh, impacting in the manner that we want to see them impacting by way of eroding historical injustice or historical past. Um, I think it's also quite important that we have a social compact which recognizes all these kind of issues. The mere fact that we have this vast and dispersed um, ideological inclination in terms of how do we move forward. You know, you can imagine if we can't agree and we have this level of disparity in terms of our thought processes, um, you can imagine how this reflects uh, on a day-to-day basis as well as to ordinary folks um, out there in, on the street. It obviously requires a huge leadership uh, drive to bring every South African under one roof to re- to literally interrogate uh, the the path which we all need to take uh, by way of firstly acknowledging the historical past and also having stringent approaches on the current legislative framework uh, vis-a-vis redress and vis-a-vis uh, you know uh, equity as well as inclusive growth that uh, you know Eric spoke about. Unfortunately, we don't have much time, and I do want to apologize for the initial glitches that we've experienced earlier in the show. Let me take this opportunity once again to thank uh, Ellen Mkoki, who's the CEO, who's the executive at the South African uh, uh, Chamber of um, South African uh, uh, Chamber of Commerce and Industry, as well as uh, Herman Pretorius from the uh, the South African Race uh, Race Relations. Gentlemen, once again, it has been an absolute pleasure having you, and I hope we'll, we'll reconvene again uh, in the near future to really thresh out some of the very pertinent issues that you brought forward. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Herman and Eric and Nimrod. Likewise, and we forgive you for the technical glitch. This technology is biting us all when it's not appropriate for it to do so. Thank you very much. I mean, what a bizarre moment for that you've just experienced, but thank you very much for accommodating us there. That's what happened when you broke us from home. These are the, the downside of not having studio, uh, thanks to COVID-19. Once again, colleagues, thank you very much. Uh, until we meet again, stay safe. Have a good one.